Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hey, what's going on, Rachel? This is a big one today. Yeah, we have a big interview. Um, this is kind of part two of our interview with Meredith Guzman, um, and we were talking all about the AAC specialty certification. That's right. That's right. Um, we ran into Meredith at ASHA, and while, and so the ASHA takes place in or took place in November. Is that right? Yep, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and so you and I were there, and she was there, and we found each other in the same same session where uh, some of the people who are putting together the AAC certification um, were presenting on the, the status. Well, what's going on with that certification? And you and I and Meredith were there, and then we got to chatting afterwards, and then we said, oh, you got to come on the podcast. And we, of course, last week's episode was about AAC camps, and then this, what you're about to hear, is our discussion about the AAC certification. But between when we recorded with with Meredith and now, this recording this banter, there's been some other events, some other uh, things that have transpired the, that we want to tell everybody about because it's been behind-the-scenes stuff that, um, that we want to now share what, what's been going on. Um, so that, like we said, ASHA took place in November, and then we had our recording with Meredith, and then we went to ATIA, right? Yeah, ATIA was so fun. What a throwback. I can't wait for this year. So ATIA is the Assistive Technology Industry Association Conference, and that took place in January down in Florida. So uh, story goes, I was walking down the hall at ATIA, and of course, I've been going there for a billion years now, and so I know all the people that are there, and or many of you know, so that's, that's hyperbole, but many people. And so one of the people that is working on the ASHA certification stopped me in the hall, and they said, hey... Chris, we'd like to talk to you about the certification. And I don't even know why uh, that actually I got grabbed and talked to, but, but could we talk about it for a little bit? And I said, yes, absolutely. And we went to the side and we chatted for a little while. And I said, well, maybe we should record a podcast episode where you come on talking about it. Of course, we have a podcast episode, a couple, uh, where we've talked about the certification before. We've had Dr. Katja Hill on talking about how it all developed uh, in the first place. So that conversation happened. And then, of course, uh, ran over and found you. And I said, oh, Oh my gosh, had this conversation. We're going to see, uh, you know, what happens next. But to, to just summarize, we decided not to record uh, an episode about it collectively. Instead, what we thought the next first step was to have a conversation with these people to discuss um, their advocacy for the AAC certification. They felt like if we tried to do something on air, there might be some sort of theatrical element to it, right? You you change the conversation because you know there's thousands of people listening, right? But if it was just, you, you know, the four of us having a conversation, we could be a little bit more intimate without necessarily the influence of other people listening. And so that's what we did. So we all got together and had a pretty lengthy conversation about all of the concerns that we have with this potential AAC certification, um, which actually you're about to hear in this interview. So I'm not going to go into them at this point, um, you know, but there's there's some with anything, there's always some good and some potentially not good. And so we had a um, discussion with them about the things that we feel like could be a challenge down the line. Uh, yeah, I, I really like what you said there, Rachel, because I don't know that it's necessary for us to go into it now because this is exactly what we talked to Meredith about. Um, and at that ASHA session, Meredith was sharing some concerns, and then, then we came up and we sort of stood together and talked about what those concerns were. So from their perspective, I think they were saying that they had not heard any uh, formalized feedback that was 
sort of against the AAC certification. They they were sort of claiming they they didn't know uh, that it wasn't organized in any sort of way that. Um, that they had some sort of formal people coming out against it or um, claiming that uh, uh, there were concerns. Um, and in fact, at the uh, ASHA's session, they sort of asked at the end of the ASHA's session, what does all, everyone think about this? And the people in that session seemed to be enthusiastic about the AEC certification. But this is, of course, one of the things that we had talked about is that's a small sample size and it wasn't really scientific. It was more like, mm, well, what do you think? And if you were sort of new to AEC, okay, you don't really understand all the necessarily implications, you know. And there, in fact, there's a whole website that's dedicated to this, right? StopAACCertification.org, I believe? Yes, where there's some letters on StopAACCertification.org that um, have been written by the NJC, the National Joint Committee. If you've ever heard of the Communication Bill of Rights, it's those people <laughs> um, that uh, have written a letter saying that they are not in favor of AAC certification through ASHA. Um, and then the other organization, of course, is our friends over at USAC, which is the United States Society for AAC, um, that has also uh, written a, a letter and, and sent it saying, that they're not in favor of it, that there are concerns about how the AAC certification is being developed and, and whether it should be developed at all. And of course, I'll just come out and say, I think, I know I share those concerns. I think you share those concerns, right? Um, and we were very thankful that the people who were, some of the people who were putting together the AAC certification grabbed me in the hall and were open to having a dialogue about what those concerns were. So the the episode that you're about to hear, the interview that you're about to hear, takes place before our meeting about those those concerns. That said, we'd like to hear what you think about the AAC certification. You know, once you hear this interview with Meredith, Dr. Guzman, please go over to the Facebook page and share your thoughts on the AAC certification. And just to kind of gonna then wrap up the story here of what happened with after that conversation, we said, where do we go next? Um, uh, we've outlined some concerns. Uh, we heard some of the the, the counter arguments to those concerns. We heard certainly uh, in the conversation that they felt like there was a lack of formalized messaging around the concerns, despite the fact that there's an entire website and letters written uh, opposing it. Um, so before you leave your, your thoughts on the AEC certification, it might be helpful to check out these different websites. We already mentioned the stopaacertification.org, but I think the proponents of the AEC certification would want you to go over to, what is it, Rachel? It's uh, aacspecialist.org. So with, with that said, we're not sure what the next action steps are. It's a time for reflection and time for getting your own information and forming your own opinions. Uh, it's time for having conversations uh, in your, your own peer groups about the pros and cons of this. We hope that uh, this interview, in conjunction with the other interviews we've done around the AEC certification, helps inform your own thoughts uh, with about what, where to go next. So without further ado, let's head into part two with Meredith Guzman. Hey there, Talking with Tech listeners. This is Beth Poss. I am one of the authors of the book, Inclusive Learning 365, Ed Tech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. And we are so excited to be headed out on a road trip down to ISTE in New Orleans from June 23rd to 29th. Now, NOLA is all about parties and having fun. 
And it is going to be one amazing party driving from Virginia. Karen's actually starting the trip in Boston to New Orleans with three of my besties and co-authors. On the way, we are going to be stopping at a variety of fun tourist locations and just like kids who learn so much from their summer vacations, even if it is just a trip to the local ice cream shop, we are going to play and learn with accessible tools from text help at each of our stops. Personally, I am really looking forward to checking out the Bristol Motor Speedway and using Equatio to help me figure out just how fast we should push our rental car on laps around the track. Do you think there's a chance we might be able to sneak on it? Of course, I am so excited about ISTE Live, all the sessions, and especially the vendor hall. I hear it is huge. The thing that I am most excited about, though, once we get there, is our wonderfully inclusive scavenger hunt. Wish. It is going to be taking place virtually and in person at the conference and will be an opportunity for participants and not just participants at ISTE, everybody can participate, to go on a hunt for inclusive strategies and resources that can support all learners. You can win fabulous prizes like copies of our book, Amazon gift cards, and more. Do you want to learn more? Join us at the AT Town Hall at 12 p.m. Eastern Time on June 13th and the special end of school year celebration and road trip scavenger hunt kickoff event starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on June 15th on AT Chat. Now get links to all of these events and learn more by going to inclusive365.com and follow us with the hashtag inclusive road to ISTE. All right. Rachel and I together with Asha and we were sitting in the back of this room because we had decided to go to the session together and we were kind of hanging out in the back. And the session was all about the AAC certification. So Rachel, do you want to explain what the AAC certification is for people who are like, wait, what's that? Yes. So this is basically going to be some type of assessment, I believe. Um, and payment <laughs> that you have to pay and also take a test and demonstrate, you know, yourself as it, I'll put this in air quotes, AAC specialist. So right now there's no formal certification. Um, you know, people are just like, oh, I'm an AAC specialist. Um, so the idea is let's have some type of uh, way to certify um, that someone who says they're an AAC specialist is indeed an AAC specialist. Um, and so this has been happening for the last couple of years now. We had um, a few episodes, actually, Chris, on this. We had um, an episode that we did with a speech science podcast with Matt Hott. Um, we also had Katya Hill, um, who is a leader in this kind of movement, talk all about what that looked like now. There might be a little outdated at this point because it was a few years ago where we had Katya on. But um, essentially, Chris and I decided to go to this session at ASHA because it was an update. Like, what is happening with this specialty certification for AAC? 
And so we're sitting in the back of the room and someone started asking questions towards the end. There wasn't a lot of opportunity to interact in this session. It was a lot of, here's the update. And then, okay, we've got a few minutes at the end for questions. And the person asking the questions was a couple rows ahead of us. And we're kind of craning our neck. Who's asking those questions? Who is that? It was me. Yeah. And we were like, who is, who is, who is she? We need to talk to her. Literally Chris and I had this like sidebar conversation and we're like, let's go up and talk to her. And then of course it was you, Meredith. It was. Yeah. So Meredith, can you give us your, what your thoughts were about that session or the certification in general? What are your thoughts? So in regards to the session, I was very surprised. I've gone to a couple different sessions at different conferences related to the new AAC specialty certification. And the sessions I've previously gone to, um, I would characterize the audience or the vocal members of the audience as predominantly worried um, and having some questions and concerns about the long-term effects of the uh, introduction of a specialty certification. And at ASHA, that was not the case. The vocal members of the audience were so excited and um, really couldn't wait to get started. And I was shocked by that difference. It We had really jumped um, to the polar opposite end of the um, kind of emotional spectrum. So I to share concerns over the impact of the AAC specialty certification. Speaking from my research experience as someone who has a lot of investment in family-centered services, um, I have heard time and time again from caregivers that they really are the experts in their child. No one knows their child better than them. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Caregivers know the special things about their kids. Like when they wake up from their nap, they have goldfish and orange juice. They know those special little nuances. And as a service provider, I don't know that. I don't know the special things about their child, even with the longest relationship and the most professional rapport. And I think by putting a name on it, that there is an AAC specialist, we kind of are forcing our way into some of the um, specialty roles or like the leader of the AAC team. The leader of the AAC team should be the AAC user and the caregiver of the AAC user if they're a child. I think by adding this specialist, we're kind of stepping away from what we know to be the gold standard, which is not an expert-based model. It's a model where we value the input and the expertise of every single person who comes to the table, including the caregiver and the AAC user. In addition, I think there are also some other really tangible concerns like the impact of um, funding AAC systems that are also concerning. So I think on both the theoretical and kind of evidence-based front, 
I have worries as well as the tangible and financial impact down, down the road. So I'm going to come out on a limb here and say that I share those worries. Yeah, I wasn't in the uh, sessions that you were talking about at other um, at other conferences, but the buzz certainly extended to me. Like, oh, Chris, we wish you were here. You should hear this. There was um, like people in tears in those sessions, worried about um, the exclusionary effects that this certification might have. Well, I would say likely to have i'll go out on that uh and, and say yeah that that um there are people who have been working to build a culture of inclusivity um around le- learning language with aac and by putting the label of an aac specialist or someone who's certified might immediately disregard all that work uh and say that well these others and i think the people who are would be promoting the uh certification would say no 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 it's not going to do that but that's the worry that now uh, the speech therapist that does, speech therapist does, now the speech therapist that does not have the certification would be like well that's not me i mean you got you got to go find somebody else that has the certification that's not really uh something that i'm certified in um or a teacher might say you know i've been working for 5 years on using aac i don't have the certification but someone who passes a test uh suddenly has a certification and they i'll put it i'll put it in my in air quotes knows more than i do you know or a parent for that matter right i mean uh some of our most um uh, influential parents in aac that have seen the greatest change have been ones who've said yes yeah, speech therapists you you failed. I had to go and do it myself. So um, would we say to the, meaning the, the, the occupation of speech therapy, not a one individual person ha- has failed. So, um, so I share those concerns and I, and I'll go on, but I'll just take a second there to say, Rachel, what are your thoughts? I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think that we don't need another reason for team members that are supporting an AAC learner to say like, oh, I don't do that. <laughs> oh, like, I don't know. Right. Because we, we, we create this expert mindset that what I do as an AAC specialist is different somehow than what the speech language pathologist does in their sessions or what the teacher does to support a student or what a paraprofessional does to support an AAC learner. And so my fear is that you know, we just don't need anything else coming up against us trying to share the notion that AAC is for all and it's everyone's responsibility. So many times I've been in an IEP meeting where everyone, they start talking about AAC and like, everyone just looks at me like, okay, Rachel, like this is you. And what I do when that happens is I, I put the ball back on everybody else because I don't want a team where everyone looks to me like I have all the answers um, because that's not the, the nature of building capacity within teams because the reality is there's not enough AAC specialists out there. Even you know now we have issues with clinicians feeling confident enough to start trialing AAC while a child's sitting on a wait list uh, or to start using it in their sessions before they get the green light from an AAC specialist to say, yes, the system makes sense. You know, so many of the kids that come to me in my practice, they are, they've been either denied access to AAC um, by some AAC specialist who said that they didn't have enough cognitive skills. I literally just read this report yesterday. It was like the child doesn't have enough cognitive skills to show that they could use a high-tech speech generating device. 
So it's like they come to me and it's, it's super frustrating to me um, when I see a report like that. But the reality is there's so many kids in need of these services and in need of people saying, okay, I'm not an AAC specialist, but I know enough from listening to this podcast and doing this continuing education course and, you know, enough to, to start because so many kids are just waiting to get started because of this fear that I'm not an AAC specialist. I don't know. Um, and I'm directly going kind of against that in the work that I do, you know, trying to make, to empower all, all that, that you can do AAC. Here's what you need to know. You need to start modeling on an AAC system, um, you know, robust language systems, you know, all these things that we're teaching. It's just like, if we, we now have to put that behind, um, you know, a wall where the only people that are allowed to recommend systems and do this work have to have a specialty certification. It just feels counterintuitive to really expanding opportunities for all of our AAC learners and some who don't even have access to AAC uh, getting access to that AAC. So I just feel a little frustrated at this idea um, of creating an expert model because so many of us are working in the field trying to dismantle that outdated, antiquated framework. Meredith, can you maybe... um expound upon your point about the funding issues. So I think Rachel touched on it a little bit there, but can you explain that a little bit more? Like what are potential funding issues that might happen um, if there's an AAC certification? So my understanding of the funding concerns are primarily related to insurance companies or other payer sources um, reserving approval for AAC systems that have been recommended by an AAC specialist um, if following the introduction of that specialty certification, excuse me. So I think that that um, will have impact on AAC users getting AAC and robust AAC in their hands. Yeah, that that seems like a valid concern. It also feels uh, very geographically relevant, meaning um, you might be in an area that where you are very remote, and so access to a speech language pathologist is often difficult. Let alone an AAC, uh, someone who has been now certified as an AAC specialist to get something. So um, I think that even compounds the problem. Would you Would you both agree? Yes. Um, and then I want to talk about funding from a different standpoint, and that would be the idea that you have to pay to take the test and then pay an annual fee to keep that certification, which seems to me, uh, again, an exclusionary measure. Um, how you'd, Many people, I think, are come into the grad school days in debt from undergrad, leave uh, the grad school days in debt and as a, as a, a fledgling new person in the field, um, adding on the burden of taking on, uh, spending more money to become, uh, certified seems like five, maybe, I mean, who knows? Cause everyone's financials are different, but you know what I mean? Like to put that into someone's budget, they now have to factor that in. And that extends the time because chances are they're not going to walk out of their graduate program being an AAC specialist. Um, So that feels like another cost prohibitive funding from a different angle issue. 
I kind of wanted to bring up another point. So we, the idea behind this certification for people who are for it are we need more education with our SLPs who are doing AAC assessments and providing that, that level of service, which I don't think any of us would disagree with, right? Like I'm all about more education and having, you know, a more standardized way perhaps uh, to ensure that people have that education. My question though, is why are we not focusing on graduate programs? Because that really is where we have an opportunity to teach all clinicians about AAC. And there's no, there's no requirement in graduate schools to have any type of course on AAC. Um, and, and so many clinicians say, I didn't have anything in graduate school about AAC. I had to learn everything on my own. So it just feels like, you know, why are we not focusing our, our efforts to change the system in graduate schools and the programming in graduate schools um, to really build out that education and awareness? I, it just feels like, why has that not been a consideration prior before thinking about, oh, we'll have this specialty certification where people pay more money and they have to do more training. You know, it's just like, it's hard enough to get uh, clinicians um, wanting to learn more about AAC and wanting to increase their knowledge. Um, it just feels like, why are we not focusing on graduate school programs? Meredith, you actually brought that up during the session. Yes, absolutely. So I think we're kind of stuck right now in a little bit of a cycle and it's just feeding itself. So graduate schools are to some extent locked in time-wise, right? Like they only have so much time with their students when they're in the doors. But I think what is missing from graduate school programs right now are those community connections with practicing speech language pathologists to invite students into really robust and evidence-based AAC assessment and intervention. So it's really that hands-on practice that is so vital for graduate students to have. And once they have that, that kind of sets a trajectory of learning where students have the opportunity to have a little bit of buy-in and a little bit of an introduction to AAC during graduate school. And that kind of fuels their career. We know from looking at the literature that most learning about AAC happens post-professionally. But um, entering clinicians need to feel confident to even step into the ring. So they, they need to feel the kind of a baseline level of knowledge and familiarity to put themselves into learning experiences. So they need to um, take the continuing education course or find an AAC mentor or even um, do a Google search. Like they, there has to be a foundational level established in graduate school that sets them up for success for post-professional learning, which is so important. I think I learned most of what I know about AAC on the job. And 
then of course more in my PhD, but it was after I had my C's. That's when my learning for AAC took place. So I think an important caveat about the specialty certification is that we're not saying, or I'm not saying that we don't need experts in AAC. We need those people because someone has to be the mentor. Someone has to teach others about AAC, but the goal is different. The goal is to raise capacity of everyone versus single one person out as the expert. We need really great AAC mentors and we need them for student learning opportunities. And then we need them for peers. So Meredith, this I'm going to tie this back to the first part of our conversation because I wonder about the grad school programs that exist um, and then post-learning um, and so postgraduate school learning and the certification, the assessment that is going to happen for to get the certification. I wonder if coaching is even brought up in any three of those in any capacity. Right now, I think there's a very small group of people talking about coaching and yet the evidence, one of the things at least we're speculating from your um, from your AAC camp uh, experience is that we could teach you in grad school about least to most prompting, and we could teach you how to do that with a student, and we could teach you about aided language stimulation. We could teach you how to do that with a student. What skills do you have to coach someone else uh, to learn those skills really needs to be maybe the focus. And I just doubt, <laughs> I haven't seen the assessment. I just doubt that's going to be part of the assessment. It's probably more about uh, those, those, those AAC topics and not about the communication partner facilitation. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I share that worry that the area of expertise that will be established isn't um, commensurate with this approach in which everyone's an expert. Mm -hmm. um, so I have another issue with the certification to, to bring up that's similar, but uh, since we're, we're laying it all on the table, I'm going to do that right now. And that is, I have an issue with uh, assessments in general meaning um, for, for so long, standardized assessments in public education have been uh, the bane of a special educator's uh, existence. In fact, I just got an email today about uh, how a certain standardized test that a student is trying to take, the computer won't read it right on a larger screen, right? Just as a small little barrier. Um, and so how valid is the test if it's not on a, if it can't be seen on a larger screen for someone with a visual impairment, let alone uh, all the other issues. But my point is standardized assessments for let's even take out disability. How valid are they for students? Is that the best way to show off what you know? For those of us that worked, have been working in universal design um, and talk about multiple modalities of expression, well, it's you got one way to show what you know, write it on a test, you know, or fill out the, the, the bubble sheet. Is that the best way to show off your skills? Would there be a, a better way, a more progressive way, a more um, a contemporary way in the 21st century to show off uh, and, and into the future, show off what you know about AAC, some sort of um, profile that you might put together, some sort of portfolio that you put together rather than a, a pass or fail, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I think 
did they talk about at that session? I feel like they kind of touched on it, but vaguely about like what the requirements would be. Did do you guys remember? I can't remember. <laughs> there may have been mention of a portfolio in addition to the test. I can't remember specifically. I think I, there was something like that. Yeah, I believe there is, but that of course um, uh, uh, raises a whole bunch of other questions about like, and I think that's how you maintain your certification is you're constantly showing what you do. Um, but it sort of leads, begs the question, what does that look like? And who's doing that? Um, uh, who's, who's, who's assessing that, those materials, you know? Yeah, I think an important metric is validity. So not only is that test and that assessment going to be valid for um, within the speech language pathology, but is that going to be valid for all of our AAC stakeholders? So one thing I've seen and I've mentioned already is that caregivers kind of identify as the expert. So they often will, they feel that with the right support, they can kind of steer the direction of the team and, but they need the right support to do that. And I just wonder if I approached a caregiver and said, but I have my certification, I can steer the team. I wonder if that matters the same way that other qualifications matter, like trust and um, willingness to collaborate. And I think there are other metrics of success and of um, working with multiple other service providers and families and AAC users that um, potentially would would gain a better response than a certification. Yeah. Than saying, I know what picture symbols are right? Right. or yeah. Uh-huh. Or I know motor planning, right? The, uh, yeah. I totally, I could not agree more. So let me maybe try and wrap this conversation up with giving each of us a bucket of paint and some paintbrushes. If 10 years from now, what would you like it to look like? Like if it, yeah, I think if uh, 10 years from now we have an AAC, certi- AAC certification, there's one picture that's painted, um, but what would we want it to be instead? You know, We're, who wants to start? I love this metaphor, Chris, this like painting a picture. I'm like, wow, like I'm really just imagining like a blank canvas right now. <laughs> so thank you. I had that. such a different experience. I was like, oh my gosh, my canvas, what is it going to be? <laughs> I'm not an artist. <laughs> well, I can kind of start off. I mean, and let me just kind of reiterate, I do think there's a need for more education and more people understanding AAC. And, um, you know, my hope is that that report that I referenced where the clinician said, you know, does not possess the cognitive skills to successfully access a high-tech speech generating device. My hope for the future is that like perhaps a certification would, you know, better like weed out some of those clinicians who are still writing reports like that. Um, You know, perhaps that is just a lack of, I mean, it isn't a lack of education, um, but perhaps a certification would somehow like uh, start us all off on this and on in the same playing field in the sense that 
you know, we presume potential with the students that we work with and we're not denying access to AAC. Um, perhaps uh, a certification could uh, help with that if, if implemented appropriately. Um, so that's something that I guess I am hopeful for because that's a huge roadblock in my practice. I mean, so many kids are getting denied access to AAC and my first question is like, who's doing this assessment? You know, so perhaps, um, you know, if, if implemented correctly, um, that would change. Um, and I would be really happy to see that change. Um, I, I am hesitant about just this idea of like having to take a test and pay more money. And like, even myself, I'm like, my first like rebel instinct is like, I won't do it. <laughs> I will not do it. And you know, they said like, you don't have to do it. Like you can still practice with AAC, but then it just becomes like, okay, well, if my speech therapy practice, cause I'm in private practice, if my speech therapy practice, like we're not certified. And then there's some directory of certified AAC specialists like that impacts my business, you know, and it impacts my credibility naturally. Cause now all of a sudden everyone's going to ask, am I certified? You know, and so I'm like, well, it, I, I don't have a choice, really. Um, you know, it, it appears as if there's a choice, but there's not actually a choice. So, you know, I, it, I don't know how to, how to fix that. They said, like, you don't necessarily need it, but all of a sudden when it exists, if you don't have it, you are looked at as less credible um, or not as qualified, you know? And so if I could paint my picture, it would somehow change that fact. Um, and I don't know how exactly that would happen, but those are kind of my initial thoughts. If like I'm painting the picture of what I would like to see happen. Yeah, I similarly would look for um, kind of universal recognition that we can't ever decontextualize a person from the life that they live. So we can say, you know, naturalistic scenario or this was done in a natural setting or a natural communication opportunity, but we need to walk the walk when it comes to um, making things actually reflect family systems and family priorities and be inclusive of all of the members of this big AAC team. Um, so we really, uh, my my ideal scenario would just be to build a build capacity as a field that we can recognize that we need to consider communication partner partners equally as we consider the needs of AAC users. And I think another big goal and dream that I would have in 10 years is for really robust mentorship opportunities for both graduate students and then post-professionally. And that requires a lot. That requires um, the workplace to have time and money to let you, you know, not see a client or have one less student on your caseload so you can engage in mentorship. So it's not, it's potentially more difficult to actually implement than it is to say it. But I think mentorship is how we build capacity um, to grow our field and universally create a better and more inclusive um, world for AAC users. 
Love it. Oh, I love these ideas. All right. So I'm going to share a few of my own too. So here's what, um, if I could take the paintbrush and dip it in the paint, what I would love to see happen is Meredith, you, you mentioned this and I think I, it bears repeating that the goal of, uh, not the goal, the idea that people, when they leave whatever uh, educational institution they're in, that they're done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. Oh my gosh, I've succeeded. You know, I've learned it. You know, is sort of false, right? You, you need to leave on the last day, uh, going. I know how to learn. I know how to learn more. I know where to get resources to learn more, and that it never ends. Like it'll uh, right up until the last day of my life, I'm learning more about this this topic that I'm interested in, right? be um uh, to use the parlance of her time right uh to, to contagious you know like learning is contagious i'm infected with wanting to learn more about aac right and um and so that should be like the the goal of every pre-service uh experience is to on your last day you should know about the podcast you can listen to no books you could read this the journals you subscribe to you should have a well-established professional learning network right um and so I, I, one of the claims made at the ashes session was that things are pretty bad when it comes to AAC. Like the, 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 the Rachel, you mentioned it just now, how you're still getting as, uh, assessments that are like, who wrote this assessment, right? Um, and yet, I maybe this is the optimism bug sitting bit me, but I, I'm always the eternal optimist. If there was any day in human history that I needed AAC, today would be the day, right? Except for tomorrow, because we have so many more people that are aware, have are um, uh, talking about it, learning about it, sharing about it. Um, I mean, you... I know I live in my own little bubble sometimes with Instagram now and Twitter for years where I'm watching people that that space explode um, with more people talking about it. So when it comes to painting a picture, what I'd love to see, if there was any way to stop the certification and instead reinvent it into something new, I would much rather see an honoring of micro-credentials. So not you either know it or you don't, and you keep up this portfolio, but imagine a website that has a little picture of Chris over in the top left corner. And there's this Chris's profile, like a, like a LinkedIn sort of website, right? And there's all these different badges, like, uh, like in scouting, you know, um, where you might get different, you know, you got your, uh, your, I don't know, you can start a fire badge, your, what's it called? Whittling badge, right? Well, what if we had that for AAC? I got my motor planning badge. I got my coaching communication partners badge, or we can even make it more refined than that. You could imagine all the different topics. We've talked for years now, Rachel, of all these different topics that might go as little badges on a site like this. And you might still have to pay and might still have to show, but maybe the payment is five dollars per badge you know something that's like less than the price of a cup of coffee um that people could work towards um and demonstrate their knowledge to uh that they've earned that badge and they they and every year that they've earned it they get in a, a little star you know and look i've had my motor planning badge for five years i and i keep it up every year you know some sort of system like that sp speaks to me way 
more professionally and way more uh, respectful of contemporary times than sort of a uh, take the assessment, do the portfolio sort of thing. Um, so that's what I'd like to see. If if in, And then I could see it wouldn't be tied to ASHA, meaning if a parent wanted to do it, they could get the certification, they could get their badges. You know, If a sibling wanted to, they could get their badges. It's whoever wanted it. You don't have to have to belong to ASHA to get that certification, or sorry, to get those badges. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? The one thing I love about that is it incentivizes continued learning. And I don't think in the current model, that's the case. <laughs> I think it's just kind of like, okay, let me, sh- let me prove that like, I know what I'm doing and let me show you by either taking a test or having a portfolio or a combination of the things. And I like the idea of micro-credentialing because it encourages people to continue to grow and learn. And I think ultimately that's at the, at the root of what we're talking about with an AAC specialty certification, it's more education. How do we get people to do that? And not only that, but how can we motivate people to do it? Um, so I love the idea of micro-credentialing. Um, the other thing that I thought about because as you guys are painting your picture, my, my picture continues to develop. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, um, you know, I wish that this specialty certification focused more predominantly on assessment because I feel like assessment, sure, like you have to have skills to understand. You have to have, in a lot of ways, a lot more knowledge about AAC, um, just understanding the different systems. And, you know, it does take a lot of experience, I think, to do AAC assessment well. Um, And I think it's the opposite with AAC treatment, whatever, like we'll put that in air quotes because AAC treatment is just language treatment, right? Um, Just knowing a few skills like modeling and a prompting hierarchy and things like that. And so I feel like if the focus was more on assessment, then, um, you know, it would take away this idea that I can't do AAC treatment either, (laughs) you know, but I think that this overarching AAC specialty certification, it's both. And I think that's problematic. Um, I think where we really need more education, I mean, we need more education in both places, but um, where you actually need to demonstrate more experience, I think, and expertise, if you will, is in the assessment process. Um, So if I was painting my picture, (laughs) I would have it focus on AAC assessment and having AAC specialists that do the assessment. um, Because again, my fear is that people doing the treatment are just like, oh, like, I don't have to do AAC treatment anymore because I'm not a specialist, you know? And even that, wouldn't you say, the AAC assessment has shifted over the years as we've made the correlation that um, that whatever starts as a tier three intervention, usually for students with disabilities, meaning uh, something that's specific for a student with a disability, often blossoms into something that the, the rest of the world uses or adopts, right? Uh, and when it comes to AAC, emojis make sense, like gif, GIFs. We just, Rachel and I just had, we we're talking about GIFs not that long ago. Um, and those are forms of AAC. And it just makes sense that, um, that uh, I wonder if the certification would have sort of an outdated model of how assessment should look and not really look at sort of new forms of of how we might assess uh, what to implement. Our field in AAC is constantly changing, constantly and rapidly. So I think um, if 
people are equipped for lifelong learning. And if we had a mechanism of recognizing growth um, with something that stuck with the growth of our field, that would be vital. Um, Meredith, so maybe to kind of really wrap up here, we should give people some resources. Now, you said that there was, um, and then I heard afterwards, uh, that there was some pretty upset people at the, when this was first sort of, I don't know, broached, right? Um, and I understand a website was created. Are you familiar with that website about it? I am. I believe it's the Stop AAC Certification Group. Um, I'm actually not sure if the website is still up or not. Well, I just Googled it and it's still up. It's stopaacertification.org where um, a group of professionals have put up their opposition to this, including uh, the NJC. I can see there's an NJC opposition statement, um, USAC opposition statement, uh, uh, a bunch of unanswered questions. And so I wonder if the people who are putting the certification forward, if this does not give them pause to say, maybe we should stop and reconsider this um, if there's enough people sort of voicing their concerns. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What I guess maybe to wrap it up is one, check out that website, but two, what do we think people could do if they didn't want the certification to exist? I think in addition to visiting the website, people need to think about their learning experiences and how they have built their own capacity and see where that aligns. Did they learn from studying for an exam or did they learn through some sort of on-the-job learning experience? And so I think as a first step, people need to reflect on how did how have they built their own capacity in AAC? And then from there, kind of dive in to see what really aligns with your thinking at this point. Um, if so, for me specifically, like I said earlier, I learned a lot on the job and I had the benefit of a really, really great mentor who totally took me under her wing. And she's now one of my best friends and she has just kind of paved the way. And she taught me in the early days what I needed to know, um, to do AAC therapy. And so based on that experience, that's going to lead me to feel a different way about the specialty certification for AAC than someone who has a different experience. Um, based on how you feel, I think some natural steps are to communicate with whichever party aligns with your thinking and your background. So if you're in support, I think that would lead you in the direction of communicate with the group that is establishing the specialty certification. I think if you have a different experience, then that would mean communicating with ASHA to let them know your experience and your thoughts on um, how AAC specialty certification might impact our practice. Sounds like good advice. Basically, write the people that you align with. 
right? And show, send your support. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. All right. I think that's what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to have to write Asha and let them know how I feel about the certification. Um, and I hope maybe this this episode will reach some of the people putting the certification forth and give them pause, maybe stop to each other and turn and have a conversation like, should we be doing this? Uh, could we, could all of our expertise and our energy be spent creating like that micro-credential thing Chris was talking about? Maybe we, maybe, maybe we'll look at that, you know? Um, I wonder if that's, uh, if that, if, if people listening to this right now know someone who's part, who's putting this forth, maybe show, show share this, this, uh, this episode with them so they can maybe just Hey, let's maybe we stop and pump the brakes and just talk about it a little bit more before we make this thing actually happen. And if you, if besides that, then like you said, write Asha <laughs> and let them know your feelings. Rachel, any final thoughts? Well, I was just thinking, you know, I know some people are going to listen to this episode and disagree with us, and that's totally fine. Um, I think that, you know, we always welcome you guys reaching out to us. So you can email talkingwithtech at gmail.com if you want to say something. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny how I feel like when I first heard about it, I was like, hmm, that doesn't seem like a bad idea until I started kind of really thinking about the impact. So I would just encourage all of our listeners who are listening to this to really kind of take some of the things we, we said into consideration. There's probably a lot of other ideas about downstream effects of this that we don't even realize or talked about on this podcast. Um, so please share with us if you have any of those that we might not have even discussed or thought about. Um, but I think ultimately it's just going to be how can we communicate and advocate for the things that we need to serve the individuals that we work with who are AAC users um, or uh, will be AAC users in the future. And so, you know, really just doing the best we can to communicate and, you know, whether that's reaching out to whoever's uh, to the board that's creating this, reaching out to Asha, reaching out to us to just tell us what you think. Um, we're open. We're open to hearing your opinions. Uh, we need a good way to wrap it up. I don't know. I was <laughs> you're trying to say that, Rachel. Is that it? Does it just ends right there? Hold on, let's pause for a second. I think we're probably going to break this into two episodes, don't you for think? For sure, for sure. I feel like it kind of is a good natural... <laughs> this doesn't have anything to do with AAC camps, really. Um, so I think <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, sort of. Like I, I mean, I tried to it make that, that, that connection that if yeah. coaching seems to be a solution, are they even talking about coaching as something we're going to even discussing in this? I doubt it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well... But you're right. Probably is two episodes. I think, yeah, I think that we should just, why don't you just wrap it up by saying, well, we never really asked how people can get in contact with you, Meredith. Um, okay. So maybe just lead into that, Chris, and like, then we can just sign off. Meredith, so if people wanted to learn more about your research and they wanted to connect with you, how would they do that? Yeah, they can visit my website, which is just meredithguzman.com, G-O-H-S-M-A-N. And um, my social media is linked on there, my email. And then you can also get a feel for my background, um, both clinically and research-wise. Awesome. All right. So I guess for Talking With Tech, my name is Chris Bouguet with Rachel Madel and Dr. Guzman. We appreciate your time here today. And uh, I got to get studying for that test. (laughs) 